Welcome, Charlton fans, to a project, a new project that I'm excited about. I think it's an exciting project, obviously. You'll have to decide for yourself. This is the first episode of Brownie and Benji, a new podcast for you, Charlton fans, where you guessed it, we're going to be discussing Charlton. It's me, Benji Nurek, and former Charlton defender, Steve Brown. How are you doing today, Steve? Very well. Yeah, much better after the win last night, Benji. You know, much needed win. Uh, and one at home, which uh, has been a long time coming. So, yeah, uh, great in terms of the result last night. And uh, as ever, I always try to wake up happy, Benji. So, yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Doing well. Love that. Well, that, that should be the motto of the, of the podcast. Everyone try to wake up happy. <laughs> so, obviously, yeah. you know, much much better week for Charlton. It's, it's interesting, this thing in football, that it changes from one week to the next. I feel like a week ago we were all talking about the season being over. And now suddenly... It's a whole new day, but going back a little bit, not too far, but just a little bit, Charlton played at Oxford at the weekend, nil-nil draw. Just, first of all, I just want to hear your initial thoughts on that game. The initial thoughts are, so, so, so you look at the game, if we can just step back to the Wigan game where mm. we have a great win, 1-0, and everyone goes, OK, well, it's the win against the team in, in the bottom, in the relegation zone near the bottom, and we were kind of expecting to win our away form's good. And then you look at the Oxford game and everyone's going, that's a tougher game, you know, and, and me included, you know, I'm not going to fabricate anything. I thought if we got out there with a point, that would be a great step forward. You know, it's Oxford. I just hit a bit of a bump in the road. But before that, you know, they were on a on very good form. And I thought if we could get out there with a point, that would be cracking. Uh, then you come away after the game and I was on the drive home by myself and I'm thinking, do you know what? It, neither side really deserved to win it because there wasn't a great deal of action in the final thirds. But when you miss a penalty with the last kick of the game, that leaves a little bit of a mm. bit of taste in your mouth in terms of you could have had all three. Um, I'm in the camp that it was a very good save, not a poor penalty. You know, if there is a camp to have, I, I thought it was a decent penalty and a, and a, and a decent uh, save from the goalkeeper. Um, and those things happen. I thought Lee was quite right to come out and, and defend Ronnie Schwartz. Mm. Uh, and, and obviously it's then subsequently come out that he phoned him on the Sunday which is brilliant man management really because we know that you know uh, Ronnie's you know moved over here pregnant wife back home probably needed a little arm around the shoulder Sunday mm. morning uh, and I was I was so praying he got a goal last night when he came on late the game to me at that point was was one and it would have just been the icing on the cake if Ronnie could have come on and scored but yeah I, I thought it was a fair result uh, and, and a good point. We would have all taken a point, I think, before the game. Mm. The clean sheet was was vitally as important, you know, because then you're suddenly back-to-back clean sheets, you're looking tight, whereas we were all complaining, stop stop leaking goals, please stop going behind. They've done that. And then all of a sudden, you pop up last night with that result. And and, and I'm not one for going on about runs. Oh, we're going, we're going mm. to run. But what I am what I am about is 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 momentum. So you go clean sheet, clean sheet, win. Seven points, three games, some tidy little fixtures on paper looking, mm. looking down at the next three or four. And suddenly, the morale in the camp must be better. Confidence must be up. We've had some really good performers in the last three games as well, mm. Benji. Uh, I think the captains, yeah, the captains worn the armband with a bit of pride, shown a bit of passion, shown some guts. I think Ben Watson's been decent, sat in front of him. I think, I think Forster Kasky coming back has given everyone a little lift, you know. So, yeah, so I, I think in terms of where their heads are at as a staff and as a, and as a squad, 
um, it, it's in a much, much healthier and happier mm. place. And that, and that point in the middle of the two wins, I think, is a really crucial point. Mm. It, it wasn't a particularly brilliant performance, but um, it showed resilience at times. You know, and we had a little bit of luck in terms of the Ford shot that struck the post. That literally could have beat Namos. Yeah. And that could have skidded off the post into the back of net. So we had a little bit of luck with that bouncing across the, the box and out the other side. And then we had a little bit of misfortune with the, with the keeper picking the right way and making a save. But yeah, it's, it's an important point, I think. Uh, but more importantly, it was a clean sheet in, in what, was, what was on paper a tough game. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree with you there. I think also, you know, what, what you're saying about you know it showed toughness it showed resilience it showed a team that wanted to stand up and fight and I think that in in previous games even this season games that Charlton haven't necessarily won I'm looking at the 4-4 draw with Rochdale earlier in the season 2-2 draw with Swindon there's been various games where the team I think has actually attacked well and looked good going forward and looked like they could have scored a lot of goals but for whatever reason whether it be individual mistakes bad luck a combination of all of those they don't get the results from the games that the performances may be had deserved but what we've been seeing recently is almost a a a hankering back to that six game uh on a clean sheet run earlier in the season where it was you know stay solid make sure that you can't get beaten make sure that you're tough to beat first and foremost and then kind of worry about about going forward and i think that the 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 two clean sheets and you know so close to three clean sheets last night having that in the bank and having that straight off of the back of Blackpool where, you know, there were fair questions about the, the effort in that game. And there were fair questions about sort of was this team kind of just going to walk to the end of the season as opposed to try to still do something this season. And I think those questions have been answered over the last three games because regardless of whether you feel the seven points is enough, which I think, you know, it is, you have to feel that the results have shown character and the performances have shown character and they've shown genuine desire to be there and play and try to give their all. But I, 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 I heard you say something interesting in the commentary against Oxford. So obviously you now did the commentary for Valley Pass on that game. And it was a game that didn't really have that much. You know, it was a game where neither team really had a lot of chances, a lot of attack. And it was, it was really lacking some oomph. And obviously you've never really played in, in, in empty stadiums, but you were talking about how sometimes you think that can be a case of not having the crowd, you know, not having those people to push you a little bit. And I was just wanting to hear your thoughts on that and, you know, how much the crowd kind of impacted you back in in your day not too long ago your day but your day not too not too long ago but long enough uh, <laughs> to be too far away for my liking but um <laughs> okay so so I, I, i'll i'll cover that like this um times have changed as we as as we all know and society's changed i think it has anyway in the last 20 years and social media has played a big 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 part of that and if i had a bad game or if the team had a bad game or bad performance and we had a bad run the worst we really got was a manager in our face in Mm. the dressing room and then a journalist writing something you know about you or the team or the performance on the back of a paper the next day Mm. and it might last till you know to Monday Tuesday and then it's kind of gone where I think life's a little bit more difficult now and I've and I've said this to many many people I said it to Greg and Terry actually off air last night at the game and that was I don't think I would have been on social media as a player right and 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 not because or I can't take the criticism criticism is part and parcel of the game right and I'm all for having some constructive criticism if you've leveled something at me that was constructive and I read it and went actually I'll take that 
you know, that's something I need to think about. No problem. But it's when it gets personal and abusive and it gets, uh, and, I, and I've, I've been, I've been, you know, on, on the receiving end of personal and abusive texts. And it's very difficult to take and it does affect you. And I'm not one of these people that sits here and goes, yeah, I didn't care. Well, what do I care? I don't care. You do care. It's extremely difficult not to care. And I just wish everybody that sent a tweet, everybody that was a little bit personal, was a little bit abusive, you are doing damage. You really are. You might not think you are. You might think that that person should be able to take it. There are some people that can't take it, can't get it out of their mind. It does affect them. And, 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 and that's why I don't think I would be on social media. Not because I can't take criticism. I took plenty of criticism running up down that line right? <laughs> of our own fans at times. It isn't a problem because there were days when I was awful. Thankfully for me, you know, there weren't, there weren't more bad days and there were good. <laughs> Otherwise, I just would have got released and I wouldn't have got a contract and I would have found another club. So I had more good days than bad. But... When I did have the bad day, they let me know. And I was quite happy to take that criticism. A player does not mean to start a game and have mm. a stinker. He doesn't go out there and think, I know what I'll do today. I'll let the crowd get on my back because I, I'm not going to care. And I'm not going to, I don't care if I have a rubbish game. That is not the case. What happens is you get out there, your first 10 or 15 minutes is rubbish and you can't recover. Mm. Then the crowd gets on your back and you're, you're now scared to, to make another mistake effectively. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get on the ball and make another mistake because you know there's, there's more coming. It's, it's tenfold. And then by the end, you get booed off. And actually, you're driving home in the car and you're thinking, right, you better sort your life out for next game. Now, if the next game comes and you don't have a good start again, effectively, you, you're just putting yourself in a bit of a pickle yeah. uh, mentally. Now, the, the crowds, fortunately for me, were, were not too bad. I, I think the worst, the worst thing I can report to you is, uh, apart, aside from all the the little shouts that come out when you, you don't cross a ball properly or you miss a shot or you, you, your man scores at a corner and you, you hear the odd shout in the crowd. That, you know, that's part and parcel. But I remember once, um, I, I, I think we even won the game, which was quite bizarre. We won the game, but I, was, I got in the car with my wife and my wife said, I've just had an interesting chat. And I said, oh yeah, what happened? And she went, oh, um, I, I was walking with a, a supporter back to the car and, 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 and I said to him, you know, that wasn't a great performance, was it? And he said, no, he said, no, he wasn't. He said, I, God, I don't, just don't know why the lad Brown gets a game. He's useless. <laughs> 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 and my wife went, oh, oh, well, that's interesting. I'll tell him in the car. On the <laughs> and she did. Uh, and I said, well, okay, you know, it's just one person's opinion and hopefully I'll be able to sort that out next game. But um, yeah, and, and again, it is part and parcel of it, and everybody's entitled to opinion, but don't make it abusive. Mm. No, and I think, I think it's a really important conversation because a lot of people, especially in regards to football, they think, oh, a football player either, they're not going to see my tweet even if I tag them in it. They're not going to care about it. They know that I'm just some random supporter. They're not going to care about what I say. But, you know, it, they're, they're not just football players. They're human beings, and obviously you – were and are a human being as well as being a a football player and so you know that uh, 
I think yeah, I, so I think your perspective is really important on that. And it was something I was going to ask you about, actually, because obviously Ronnie Schwartz missed his penalty on, uh, on the weekend against Oxford. And obviously he was very upset about it. Everyone else was very upset about it. You're, you're not, not going to be upset about missing a chance no. to win in the last minute. And for the most part, I actually thought the reaction I saw on Twitter was pretty good. But there was still, you know, a lot of very aggressive personal things being said to him and things on Facebook, a lot of very personal things being said about him to him. To me, it's just like, first of all, he's the one who's going to be upset about this. Like it's, it's not as if he's going to go home and just be happy that he, that he missed the penalty. You know, he's going to be up all night replaying in his head thinking I should have just gone the other way. I should have hit it harder. All the different little scenarios that could have changed ever so slightly. He's not going to go home sitting alone in his apartment without anyone to hang out with his wife back in, in Denmark and be delighted that he missed the penalty. He's going to be very upset about it and he doesn't need someone coming at him on Twitter, you know, piling on the pressure when he's, when he's already feeling upset and he's already feeling down about it and already, you know, replaying in his mind so many times. Yeah, and and the important bit of, of what you've just said is, is is you know I don't want to go over the same ground, but the important mm-hmm. bit I've just taken from that is that people don't think that that tweet finds its target. Mm-hmm. It really does find its target, whether it's through directly to the player or through their family. I've had I've had incidents where my daughter's been very very upset about something she's found about me on the internet, and she's cried her eyes out in front of me. So it's not directly. Uh, sorry, the, the player might not directly find out, but he will find out. So if you're a supporter that sends something, there is a very, very high percentage chance that the player will find out. All right. And and that's what I mean. And it's, it's you know, I, I, we hear this over and over again. You know, it, it's everybody's a human being, whatever your background, whatever your job, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, out of what you've just said, I'd like to, I'd like to take on, on board the, the fact that, Players might come out and say, not bothered about Twitter. I'm not bothered. I didn't see it. They do see it. Mm. Okay? It's their way of dealing with it. It's their way of putting up a front that says, send what you like. I don't see it. But they, I'm telling you now, they see it. They hear it. Um, maybe not directly, but indirectly. Uh, and, and, that, and that's why I think we, you know, messages are sent out there. People say these things over and over again. And, and, and I think, you know, um, it's down to the individual that sends the tweets to sit back sometimes and go, I am a fan. I am entitled to an opinion. You are, but try and make that opinion constructive, not aggressive and angry. And if we could just get that point across, because I'll tell you another thing, Benji, that I was thinking about that. If, if, if you made that point constructive, you might just find they might engage a lot more with you. Absolutely. Right. Rather than go, I'm not because unfortunately the five percent that send the negativity, players will think is all like that, mm-hmm. or, or in fact not players, not players. I'm the same. I'm no different. I'm not a player anymore. I tend to think that the because we the human brain is conditioned to almost. That's a lovely compliment, but I'll pop, I'll, I'll pop that over there, and then they get a negative one, and it goes bang right there, and it sits there for ten hours. Yep. 20 compliments get parked over here to the side, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's a human condition that's very, very difficult to sort out in your own brain, right? Yeah. Um, and some people need a little bit of help with that. Some people think they can deal with it on their own. Um, but it's, it's, you, you always tend to focus on the negative. And, uh, and that's a bit of a shame. 
because there are an awful amount of compliments to mm-hmm. be found if you want to go searching for them. But 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 unfortunately, because of the negativity, a lot of players miss the good stuff because they don't look because of the negative stuff. If I was a player now in modern day football, I'm afraid to say I I just wouldn't entertain social media. I wouldn't have it at all. I would just mm. shut it out because I wouldn't. I know from personal experience, I wouldn't be able to to get things out my my mind that had been said about me. Um, luckily, in my day, it wasn't. It could people couldn't. It was it was from the stands or it was a newspaper article on the Sunday or Monday. That was it. Mm. Uh, and 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 at times, sometimes when and again. You know, if you're in if you're in a good run of form, personally, you can have a bad game. People can say what they like. You still believe the next game is be fine. But if you're having three or four games that are mm. a bad run, that comment that comment can really start to affect you. Gets yeah. in there, eats away. You know, so it it definitely has an impact. And I just the one thing I'd say is if you send in a tweet and you honestly believe you're sending it and no one's going to see it, you're 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 a fool. <laughs> it will get through. It will get for, It will get through. People will see it. Uh, and even if, for argument's sake, if Lee Bowie is not on Twitter, Charlton Athletic are, mm. the media team are, they'll see it. They might pass on something indirectly, you know, so that the messages, you know, can, can get, get, get through in various ways. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just listen, it's a great thing, social media, if, if it's used in the right way. Um, it's not something I'm overly keen on. And that's not purely for, and I've said this, and I've said this, but it's not, from a negativity point of view, it's from a time-wasting point of view. Mine, I need to spend my days better than a TV screen. I'm happy to talk now for two hours because I'm engaging with you. You're gonna—I don't know what's coming question-wise. We'll move on shortly, um, but I—I I, I don't want to go backwards and forwards with somebody I don't know, arguing over something that's not mm. really that relevant. Um, you know, that's not the way I want to spend my day. Yeah, I mean, and, and as I said, such a such an important topic because, you know, some people are just so not unaware of how their footprint on social media is per- potentially impacting other people. But before we move on to the Northampton game, because we've spoken quite a bit about the Oxford game, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, we were speaking about Lee Bowyer's treatment of, of Ronnie Schwartz and, you know, how he sort of reacted in the aftermath of that penalty. And first, he sort of very publicly defended him in the press conferences, saying, you know, he would let Ronnie Schwartz happily take a penalty again. And this is just, you know, one of those one-time things and then the next day he called them. So I, I was hoping just to ask, you know, from your personal experience in your career, whether it was to you or one of your teammates or just something you heard of, um, an example of that kind of man management where, you know, it was just in the right moments necessary and, and just helped a little bit, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was at Charlton for 14 years and for the majority of those years I worked with, with Alan Kirby and I have got a huge amount of respect for, for Alan. Um, and, and I think he was an excellent manager for me personally. Um, the one thing that came with Curbs, he was extremely hard to get a compliment from him. <laughs> right. So Curbs' mentality was, well, you're paid to do that. You know, so well, well done. You know, if you need a well done, well done, pat on the back, you know, off you go. Um, but his job really wasn't to make me feel good. His job was to make me understand football and win football matches, which he did. But he was hard to get a compliment out of. His man management for me came in different ways. He looked after me uh, injury-wise. So I was allowed to get away with things other players wouldn't because I was a certain way in training. I I absolutely trained the same way I played. I couldn't afford to do it any other way. 
And for that, curbs would um, allow me, if I was having a bad day in terms of slightly swollen knee, if, if we had to go and train on an AstroTurf because the, the, the grounds were not suitable with the weather, he would allow me to just rest up. He trusted me enough that I wasn't taking the mick. I wasn't just ducking out of training. He trusted me enough to go off and do my own thing for that particular day, knowing that if he needed me on the Saturday, I was absolutely ready and waiting and willing to go into the side. So his man management of, of, of how he treated me with the injury was brilliant. Um, I will say you, you picked a player that didn't actually need a, a, a lot of arms around the shoulder. I was extremely self-sufficient. Um, didn't really go knock on the manager's door too much. When I was dropped, I accepted it sometimes absolutely too easily. You know, just, just mm. didn't have to fight in me. After, after, after a certain amount of reasons why you're not playing this week, you don't need to hear another one because you feel like you're the worst player in the world. <laughs> you know, you're not quick enough. You can't turn. You, you're not very good in the air. You know, uh, he's better at set pieces than you are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fabricating, fabricating some of that. But you tend to just knock on the door, get told you're not playing. I did, and I didn't really have a lot of fight in me uh, after after a few years. Twenty four, twenty five. I just it, it, at the end of the day, I learned quite quickly. It's the manager's decision. It's not your decision. If he feels that the team he's picking is the best team for that week to win the game, I had to accept that. What I did was I looked at myself and said, "You're not doing something that's putting you in his eye line enough. So you need to do a bit more." And that's how my mentality was. I didn't take it personally. Yes, there were times when my pride was absolutely dented because I didn't feel like I deserved to come out mm. of the side. But what Curbs had then was a backup in Keith Peacock. And Keith would be the one that would take me to one side when he saw I was more bothered than usual, okay? which didn't happen very often. But if he saw I was more affected than usual by the decision, Keith would recognise it, pull me, sit me down. And I never came away from Keith thinking, you know, that was rubbish. I always came away from Keith going, fair enough. You know, he's explained it and put it to me in, in such a way that, that I accept it. Mm. Uh, and it made me a better person for that. It made me understand what a manager has to go through on a daily basis and the decisions that he has to make are not easy. And actually, at the end of the week, it's his job on the line, right? So he can't afford to be sentimental about a player and his attitude. And he just picks the 11 that's going to win the game. Okay, the best 11, he's watched the opposition. He's looked at us. He's looked at the previous games. That's the 11 I think is going to win the game, right? So I sort of understood that very early. A lot of other players don't. A lot of other players knock on the door, have a row, because they they just think it's the right thing to do. You know, it's uh, I, I'm upset, so I'm going to show you I'm upset. I went the other way and just said, am I involved? Uh, my contract was heavily geared to me being involved. Um, and, and, and I wasn't the best paid player. So therefore, you know, if you're not playing in the 11, you know, you want to know that you're involved in the 16. So you're still getting uh, an appearance fee, which was big mm-hmm. to me because my basic wage wasn't very good. Um, am I still involved? Yes. And that kind of, soften the blow <laughs> because you know if I'm out the squad suddenly my I'm living off my basic which isn't great um 
for me to get, I mean, for me to get up to some of the other players' wages, I would have had to have played, scored a hat trick, kept a clean sheet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so playing was, you know, um, was obviously vital in terms of having a, a a a competitive wage. If I wasn't playing, it wasn't the best. Mm. Um, but I did accept. I did accept as a as a player that um, and understood that 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 my job is not on the line. You know, Curbs' his job was on the line. Mm-hmm. So therefore, tip my cap to him. Hope you get the result. Hope the, and I never wished any players ill either. You know, I was a very good teammate. Three of the the players that I got on with the most were in my position. Stuart Barmer, a great friend, and and a, and a sad reality actually, Benji of football is. I made some great friendships along the years, uh, Stuart being one, uh, Phil Chappell another, another player at centre-half. Um, and you just lose touch. You know, it's so sad. Stuart lives in Scotland, Phil lives up near Cambridge, near Newmarket. You know, and I don't even call much. We don't even call each other much anymore. And that's the sad reality of a football career is that you have all these guys. Chrissy Powell I got on with famously, Dean Kylie I got on very, very well with. You know, and they're still taking call now. You know, if you call each other, you'll pick up and it's like you like you met yesterday. Mm. But you just don't get to see each other anymore and you don't get to meet up. You don't have a round of golf here and there. And that's that's the sad reality of football. But um yeah, I didn't wish ill anybody. I I just always wanted the best for the team. That was it. And and within that came a structure. I knew my place within the squad. Of course I wanted to play Benji. I worked hard every week to play. If it didn't come, manager's priority mm. or prerogative. Sorry, not priority. Manager's prerogative, um, and 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 um, and I accepted that. Uh, and so, therefore, I wasn't a person really that that needed a great deal of, of of comfort in. And when I did, it was Keith Peacock in the main that that that, that, that recognised it and gave it to me. But Curbs was very very good um, in understanding that I might need a bit more rest than other players, or I needed to miss out on a session here or a session there. Uh, and he was very, very good in that manner. Mm. No, that's, that's fantastic. I love just sort of hearing your stories because there's, I, I always come away learning something that I didn't know beforehand, oftentimes more than one thing, normally two or three, but <laughs> so, so interesting as always, but moving on a little bit to the Northampton game last night, that was Tuesday, another win. Well, another win for Charlton, a win for Charlton, a win for Charlton at home, which is obviously very, very <laughs> important. What, what struck yeah. me about the, the game last night was Again, Charlton weren't necessarily brilliant. There wasn't necessarily a lot of flowing nope. football and a lot of really good chances. But, but once again, and it's been the same as I was saying for the last three games, they looked tough. They looked unwilling to be beaten. Yeah. And Northampton really didn't threaten at any point. And I think that, that the team deserves a lot of credit for that because coming out of the Blackpool game, where as we, as we know, it was such a sort of crumbling disaster, to, to rebuild over the last three games and put in the kind of performance last last night that was full of sort of that grit and resilience that you want to see from a team who hasn't necessarily been in the best form. That's, that's really good to see. Yeah. I think Lee needs an enormous amount of credit. Firstly, I did, I wasn't at the Blackpool game, mm. um, but I'm told it was a pretty lacklustre performance is probably a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Lee made seven changes. 
Mm. You know, which is a hell of a gamble. You go to Wigan, make seven changes and lose, and you're under the cost. You mm. really are getting some criticism at that point. So he needs an awful amount of credit for the bravery in those decisions. The players then need a lot of credit because I thought they did put in a decent shift at Wigan. I thought it was a good performance. Mm. Um, thoroughly deserved to win the game. Uh, and, and, and then that gives you a platform, like we said, that to go on to the Oxford game. And I would have taken the point before it, they got that. You then moved to Northampton, where I thought, funny enough, I pitched up yesterday and I thought, there's definitely going to be changes today because one or two were stretching off during the 90 minutes on Saturday. Fanwo looked like he was in a bit of trouble. I thought Piercy, you know, as well as he'd done, and he'd done brilliant in the two previous games. He looked like a proper leader. Um... I thought he was struggling a little bit, stretching off. And I thought, has he got, you know, three games in seven days in him? But, you know, he can't really change both centre-halves, you know. Mm-hmm. So can he give us 60 minutes, 70 minutes? And maybe we change that, depending on the game goes, maybe we change that late on in the game. Uh, and again, he made his changes, you know. And I, I suppose the contentious one is why Prattley starts over Australasia. But, you know, we know Prattley will, will deliver at centre-half. You know, he, he can slot in there no problem. And again, it's like I've just explained, manager's prerogative, his decision. He lives and dies by the sword. He makes those decisions and he went with that call last night and it paid dividends. Um, yeah, so I, I, I got to Northampton game knowing there was going to be some changes and, and how that would affect the performance. What I would say is after watching, I didn't watch them, sorry, but after seeing Northampton get the 2-0 win against Plymouth and the 4-1 win against Portsmouth, yeah. which... Is an anomaly. Yeah, I, that can't be that explained. Coming. It can't be explained. It's Portsmouth. And they've gone on to have another poor result, I think, mm-hmm. last night. So, um, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, well, you know, they've, they've, they've sacked their manager after a really, really bad run. And they've got a new manager. And immediately, results didn't change. But the last two have been excellent. So, And, and it's the under-18 coach. So, he's obviously gone in and started coaching, 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 coaching his way, his methods. And actually, we've seen a little change. And there's a, and I was expecting a lot more from Northampton. Yeah. They almost came and just went, if we can hold you to nil-nil and spring a surprise and get a little one-nil, a little counter-attack here, counter-attack there, we'd be delighted with that. The problem with that is, is when you go behind, you know, you're stuck in that mould. You've mm-hmm. got to make substitutions to change your formation. And then you, you become a little bit separated and, and, and disjointed as a team. And, and as as quite often happens in football when a team goes 1-0 down it's set up like that it goes 2-0 down and you know thank god we did get a second Benji because <laughs> we needed it but but um uh yeah I, it, you know when you look at the Oxford game and a point's fair Charlton if they'd have come out with last night with a point would have been you know it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been fair either they deserved to win last night and it was a what I, what I would say is about you you've touched on resilience and you've touched on backbone a little bit in terms of earlier on in the season and what I would say to you is when I came a few months back and started doing Valley Pass Charlton had a little bit of a soft underbelly Mm -hmm. they were very very easy to very very easy to break through and in a 46 game season you are not going to have it your own way in about 10 or 15 games right you're either going to be second best and hanging on in, in, in some of those games or you're going to have periods of those games 20, 30, 45 minutes where you are outplayed mm. and it's in those moments that you find out about your team because I always say first you have to earn the right to win a football match you don't just win, win a football match turn up and playing pretty football and tap, 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 tap 
the other the other side lays down on the ground and you score three goals. That is not realistic to football. Realistic to football is a bit of crash, bang, wallop to start with, high tempo, in your face, make a few challenges, and you're just trying to impact on your opponent in the first five or ten minutes to let them know they're in the game. Mm. Then all the tactical stuff will find its feet over the next 10 or 15 minutes after that. And if you've done a good job in the first 10 or 15 minutes, you put the opponents on the back foot, right? However, if it goes the other way and you're on the back foot, you have to be resilient. And, and, and all I mean by that is stay in the game. Don't concede, right? So you can be second best. You can spend 10 of the first 15 minutes in your own half, but be really hard to break down. And the game will change. The pattern mm-hmm. of the game will change. There's, you know, it just will. You'll find a way eventually, whether that's your staff on the sidelines seeing something and giving you some information, or you as a team. The other team, you know, backs off for five minutes because they've puffed themselves out going for you in the first 15 minutes and you get a little bit more of the ball. Then it's your time to shine. But you're going to find that in, in at least 10 or 15 games. And what I felt about Charlton when I first started coming back up was that they were just unable to stay in a game when they're on the back foot. Mm. They would concede. And I think the biggest difference in the last three games is they found a way to be a lot more resilient. When they're under Kosh, they, they, they found a way to make the opponent shoot from angled distances. So you give yourself a much better chance. They defended the middle of the six-yard box much better. When they lose the ball high up, they've got more players behind the ball to get themselves back into a structure quicker. And that's what's changed. Mm. Um, but they did lose their way for a good month, six weeks there. Where Whether it's injuries impacted the side that Lee could pick, whether the side he picked just wasn't recognising uh, where it was within the game, within the structures of the game. They were losing their way a little bit in terms of shape. Uh, there was one game, I think it was Plymouth, where we had two midfielders almost breaking into the front line and Ben Watson dropping into the back line. And you had the young lad, Matson, Martin, sorry, Martin, just sort of floating around in the left side of a diamond on his own. And there was just space everywhere. Now that's changed, thankfully. Um, whether that's because Lee's got players back and he's been able to make changes, only Lee can tell you. But that's what I've seen physically with my mm-hmm. own eyes. Is a team that, that wasn't resilient. It, it, it didn't stay in games when it was on the back foot. It crumbled and let goals in. That's gone. We look strong again. Um, which is, you know, for me, is, is, is the cornerstone, actually, of any side that's going to force its way into a playoff position is, is when you are not playing great or you're under the cosh, make yourself difficult to beat. And that looks like what Charlton have done in the last few games. They've not looked under pressure, really, at all. Mm. Uh, the Oxford game, you know, they, they, they didn't give away too much. Uh, Wigan, they didn't give away too much. In fact, I thought Wigan was probably the game that was that they conjured up a little bit more than everybody yeah. at Northampton I, I I just couldn't see him scoring <laughs> and I didn't understand the 4-1 win against Portsmouth off the back of last night's performance <laughs> but you know Oxford I thought was going to cause us a little bit more trouble than they did they didn't uh, and Wigan had their moments but mm. we, we kept the clean sheet because I thought I thought Pierce, uh, you know conducted an excellent performance from his back line and, and, and Watson was decent in front yeah 
No, no, I absolutely agree. And as you said, not sure, not quite sure how Northampton managed four against Plymouth, judging by their performance last night, where it really looked like they were never, ever going to score, no matter how long the game went on. Obviously, they did score, and it led to a slightly nervy last 60 seconds. But but as you said, you know, we saw a resilience in this Charlton team that, that's been missing, and it, a resilience that was a cornerstone for their success in sort of the first few months of the season, and one that went missing over the months that went that came after that. And and I think for me, a big thing about the last three games and, and something that you've already spoken about today is, you know, putting, ma- making sure that your impact is felt by the opposition, you know, making sure they feel like they're in a game and they don't just have it their own way. And there have been times this season where it has felt like Charlton are just sort of reacting to the other team as opposed to really trying to get at them. And I think for me, at least last night and probably over this run as a whole, it's felt like a lot of that sort of impetus has come from Jason Pierce's performances. And, and obviously he's gotten his fair share of criticism this season. Oftentimes, you know, you'd have to say it's somewhat deserved for, for performances that aren't up to the standard yeah. that he can, that he is capable of. And we've seen in the last three games why sort of, I guess, that criticism in one way was valid because we've seen yeah. – the level that he can play at. And I, it just has felt like seeing their captain and seeing their center back really, you know, trying to dominate and put his body in front of the ball. And there was a few times last night where he was really in the wars, you know, getting hit in the face, yeah. getting smashed around, but but happy to do that and seemingly always in control. And it, it felt like it definitely rubbed off on the rest of the team. Yeah, I, I think you lead by example as a captain, don't you? And he's, you know... There are lots of different types of captains. Some are verbal. Mm. You know, I've had some very good captains that are verbal. They understand not just their role within the team, but they understand everyone's role within the team. And they're actually very knowledgeable about the game as a whole. So they pass on a lot of good information. You have captains that lead, like Piercy, with a challenge here. Not only did it, not only do we see that side of it, though, Benji, I saw another side over the last couple of games where somebody else would do something good or somebody else would make a mistake, and he was there first, making sure the arm was around the shoulder, making sure that he, whether it was a, whether it was a pat on the back for doing something good or a bit of advice to mm. not make the same mistake again, he was there delivering that. Now, that's when you see a good captain. A good captain isn't always necessarily just worried about him and doesn't lead by a thunderous challenge or a... Uh, you, you know, a big clearance or a header. Sometimes a captain does a lot of work verbally that we don't hear, that we don't see. And and I, I just got the feeling a couple of times last night, particularly when he knew how important the result was, he just gave the a person the right bit of information. He was the first one round Ronnie Schwartz, to be fair, with his arm around his shoulder, lifting his spirits. And I don't think you could lift his spirits. It's one of those ones where the player has to go home and just... It has to wash over you, yeah. otherwise you won't recover. Yeah, you have to find a way to let those mistakes wash over you. Very easy for me to sit here and say that, and <laughs> really difficult to do. But um, he was the first one, you know, and that's when you know you've got a good guy. And and look, if if, if Jason Pierce came on here today, and you said, look, you know, you made a few mistakes, he go, I know, mm. he knows. You haven't got to tell him he's, mm. he, you know, you haven't got to tell him he he didn't you know, make the header back. I can't remember the game. You showed me the I clip. You know, he knows he, that's, a, that's a mistake. Mm. He, if he looks at the analysis of the Peterborough game, he'll think, all right, I could have I could have been higher up. I could have. He knows. He's not going to duck anything. He's not that kind of character. And they're great characters to have around. All right? Because 
when they do make mistakes, okay, they're not trying to hide it. Mm. And the worst player to have around is somebody that points a finger at somebody else when they're making mistakes. Okay, and he's not one of them. He's a real good character. Um, but but like I said, when you are making mistakes, uh, you do feel it. He will have felt it, but he'll admit it and he'll work through it. And he's bounced back before. Mm. And he's been up and down in his career, undoubtedly, several times. But it's good to see him back to where we like him to be, which is leading, winning challenges, making good decisions in possession, out of yeah. possession. And not only that, looks like he's verbally helping out other players in the side mm. as well. So that is really good to see. Uh, you know, he's, he's my kind of player, if I'm honest. I, you know, I won't, you won't find me coming on here criticising him openly because I think he's, you know, if I was next to him, I'd enjoy playing next to him, you know? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think it, it, it makes sense also that, some of those, some of those more, some some of those captaincy duties, you know, making sure everyone else is is doing well, making sure everyone else is sort of getting the right information. It would make sense to me, as someone who hasn't really played high level football, that those can fall a little bit when your personal form is suffering and when you're starting to make mistakes. Yeah. Then you want to focus on 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 just cleaning up your game and making sure that you're not making yeah. mistakes, as opposed to doing all those other things. So I think it's also probably not a coincidence that we've seen sort of the captain Jason Pierce starting to come out more and more with the, the, him being in better form. Yeah. And, and, and you're quite right. I mean, very astute what you've just said, actually. And, 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 and what you'll find is that when you're making mistakes and I've captain sides, mm. uh, when you're making mistakes, you're very much focused on you not making the mistakes again. You're just trying to sort yourself out. So therefore, where your concentration levels are on what you're doing, you're not suddenly looking about what your right back's doing. You're not worried about where he is because you've got too much going on to sort yourself mm -hmm. out. So what you'll find is when a captain's struggling with his own performance, all the other little bits that make him stand out as a captain have disappeared momentarily because you're just focusing <laughs> on you to get your game back to the A game. And, um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and anybody in the world could be forgiven for that. Absolutely. All right? But you're, you're, you're still wear the captain's armband because of the manager knows what you can do and what you can deliver. But at any stage, when you're going through a little bit of a confidence crisis yourself, which every single player in the world will go through, you have to tidy up your own stuff. And it will, it will impact on other things you can do. I, I used to, you know, at the start of a game, the, the, the set pieces would go up on the wall. Uh, and at first, when I first started out as a youngster, just my man, all I cared about. My man, he's not scoring. By the time I got to 24, 25, my man, I, know, I knew everybody's man. I knew where everybody should be stood. Because you did have players in the side, unfortunately, that were thinking about their dinner, not where they were supposed <laughs> to be from a corner. And, and you just knew who they were. I won't name them now, but there were three or four players, in, 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 certainly in the team I'm thinking of in my brain, who I just knew would just walk back a bit gingerly, you know, who do do, oh, the sky is blue, the grass is green. No, no, you're near post. Can you get there, please? So by the time you get 24, 25, 26, you're not just doing your job. It's easy to know who you're marking. Where's everybody else supposed to be? Because it suddenly becomes then, Benji, about, I don't want to concede a goal as a team. Mm. I want to play well as an individual, but I don't want to concede a goal as a team. So the more responsibility um, uh, that, that, um, that you can take on for, 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 for players that are not that way inclined, um, it's it's um, it, it's uh, it's much it's much easier. 
to uh, you know to, to to help everyone else out when um, when uh, sorry I've been really distracted there. Um, it, 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 it becomes easier as you get older to help everybody else out within the team because you know what it means to get a result over the line. Mm-hmm. Now there was a there was a moment last night actually, and I said it in commentary. Chucks and EK comes on, all right, and we concede. And Amos does the right thing. He gets the back line all the way up to the halfway line. He hit, and I'm saying to Terry and Greg on, on, on commentary, he's just got to drive this as far as he can. Chucks has just got to get himself in a position where he can either flick it on, all right, and we get a runner in behind. And if we get a runner in behind in possession, he just runs into the corner. If, if their centre-half wins it, our midfield's got to position itself in a position where can they get there first? Hook it in behind. <laughs> you know, don't do anything spectacular with it. We're running down the clock here. And Chucks failed their centre-half, right? Now, if I was captain that day, I might not have said anything. I would have just defended the set-piece that was coming. But I would have maybe just walked over to Chucks and gone, or, or as a management team, just gone, you can't commit that foul. And this is why. And explain to him that that allows the goalkeeper to come 50 yards out of his goal. Mm. It allows them to put seven players on the edge of our box. And it allows him in the last minute to hit a 70-yard ball to the edge of our... Now, they won the first header yeah. and the guy was six inches yeah. away from getting a half volley to make it 2-2 in a result that they just shouldn't have got. Now, mm. ordinarily, that doesn't look like a lot to anybody watching that game that Chucks has given away that foul. But, but it's actually massive because if that goes in, it impacts the entire season in where it's sat at the moment. And that's just one tiny incident, right, that could have changed last night's result enormously and could have changed Charlton's season enormously because you've given a foul away that has allowed them to smash that ball into a box. Now, he does need to be told, but he doesn't need to be aggressively told. Just mm-hmm. he needs to understand why. Yeah. Why? You, just get your body in the way of the centre-half and the flight of the ball. And, and, and if you can't win it, just make yourself awkward to beat, but don't wrestle him. Absolutely. Please don't wrestle him and don't give away the foul. And, and I'll tell you what, if the centre-half wins the header over you, we're still battling in the centre of the pitch with 30 seconds on the clock. We're not defending a ball launched onto the edge of our 18-yard yeah. box. And those little things, um, you know, in an isolated little case, people might think, well, that's, you know, it's a tiny little thing. But if you do 10 of them, if you give one player a bit of advice like that across the team, you've improved your entire team a lot just with small bits of information. And, um, you know, uh, uh, again, you talk about, uh, you know, players. I don't think players self-police anywhere near as much now as they did in, 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 in the time that I played. Mm. Players would, be, would happily be critical to one another in, in a way. Sometimes it was overly aggressive. Other times it was constructive. But it seemed to us back then, and, and, and a lot of ex-pros say the same thing, now it's accepted. It's, like, it's almost like you can't tell somebody else they've done something wrong. Now, where did that come in? How has that crept in? You should, in a team sport, you should be able to be critical of one another mm-hmm. in, in the right manner. And you should be able to point out, don't do that again. If I did something wrong as a 20-year-old kid, I had a 30-year-old player, oof, it wasn't nice. But you, you, you learned quickly, right? And it wasn't overly aggressive. You just got told in a manner that men do not do that again. And you learn quick. But I, I don't see enough 
Mm. And it doesn't have to be criticism. I think criticism is the wrong word. I think I've used the wrong word, actually. But it, it, it's, you know, it's right. passing on your experience. Mm. Yeah, passing on your experience to somebody less experienced where you've been through it, you've made that mistake in the past, it's cost you, and you see it happening again, and you say, I can help him out here. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be done in an aggressive manner, but I, I don't see enough of that going on. I don't see enough players willing to be responsible to point the finger at somebody else and say, you can't do that again. You know, it's killing us. Um, and, I, and I do think that has crept in because uh, of the way we coach now, the way we, the way we coach players now and the way we were, we've been taught to coach players, which is to be less critical, let them find their own way, you know, let the game be the teacher and all the other things that we've heard thrown at us as coaches along the years. But what we have taken out is players looking at themselves first mm. uh, no. and other players being responsible for uh, pointing a finger within the team structure. It makes a lot of sense. And I think also, you know, there can be a, a differentiation. It doesn't have to be, you did this wrong. We're all mad at you for, for ruining yeah. our, our point or whatever. Absolutely. It, it can be, you know, I need to tell you this information because we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. It doesn't, you, you don't have to focus on what has happened in the past as much. It can be, you know, it can be pointing out a mistake with the focus on the future. But I mean, right. obviously, you know, we, we've spoken about captains and we've spoken about Jason Pierce and obviously you've had your experience captaining teams. And I, I was just hoping to ask based on uh, throughout your time at Charlton, some of your better experiences with captains, either the verbal ones or the, the ones who led by example, just, just some that are on the top of your head, I guess. Well, Mark Kinsella was, was yeah. our captain. And Mark, Mark led by effort and commitment to the team. So if you see your captain willing to cover every blade of grass, go into challenges that he has got no right to win, you see a determination to not be beat, someone who's willing to get forward, to get back, who actually got his message across and never, ever heard Mark openly, verbally volley somebody. Mm. But he would get his point across in a, in a manner that was... You have to understand, Benji, we were a very close-knit side. So if somebody pointed the finger at you, it wasn't taken personally. It was, it was taken as weird or you're not doing good enough in this moment and we you know can't do that as a team we weren't we weren't technically as good as others in the premier league um and and therefore we had to play a certain way to win games and and, and that was to grind out the physical side of it first and almost wear the opposition down where we were relentless in our pursuit of winning the ball back we were relentless in our manner in how we defended we were extremely resilient. But if someone didn't pull their weight, they got told. And Mark did it probably in a very, very good way. He was quite quiet mm. in, in some respects, but made his point in others. Um, I'm trying to think back to his case. We had side, I wasn't in the side very much, but Simon Webster was a very, very good leader back in the day. Very good captain, very verbal, very um, good at organising. You know, that, there's another player that... Um, probably deserved a little bit more out of his career, actually, than Simon got. A lovely fella, an excellent leader. Um, but I, I didn't play, you know, in the, in the side too many times with Simon. But, but um, again, someone who would make his point, uh, not, not, not particularly overly aggressively, 
but was willing to make the point, mm. you know. And uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say he was a very, uh, you know, a, a, a very intelligent leader, actually, knew the game and, and would correct certainly younger players. But there are, you, you have to understand as well, Benji, there are, there are players that aren't captain material. Uh, Gary Nelson, Steve Gatting, John Humphreys. I don't know if you've heard of John, a fullback for Charlton back in the, mm. the 80s, early 90s. Exceptionally intelligent players I've picked there, the three of them, um, and 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 they passed on golden nuggets of information to me. Not captain material. Steve Gatting may have been captain material, but he was very very quiet. I mean, you could not phase Steve Gatting. Huh. I've never seen him. I've never seen him ruffled ever. The most laid back man you will ever wish to meet. But when he talks football, he's telling you what you need to hear. Mm. Uh, and passed on some brilliant nuggets of information to me. Gary Nelson, again, exactly the same. John Humphrey, a superb individual player. Player of the year, three, three years running for Charlton. Watching him play right back, you can't fail to learn. All three of them at the same trait, extremely approachable and willing to share. Mm. And, would give you, and would give you time. Uh, so they're not captains on the pitch, but they were leaders in terms of experienced players helping young players out. And mm. they, they all did it. I mean, their traits are all the same. They're all three of them are very intelligent. All three of them are very knowledgeable about football. And all three of them were just very, very nice people willing to pass on information to young players who were willing to go and ask, which I was. I mean... Some of it was forced on me, to be fair, because I uh -huh. drove up with, with, with Gats and Nels and, and I just, you know, was inquisitive at times. Not all the time, but if I'd done something wrong in a game or I'd seen something in a game, I'd ask questions and they would answer. And I got a lot of information out of them. And sadly, I think that's another thing that's been removed out of modern day football. 23s train on their own. You know, the 18s train on their own. We all train together, you know. And if a player was doing well in the 23s, he was generally in and around the first team. Mm. And so, and, and I, I don't care what anyone tells me. Uh, I, I, this, this I believe to be true. A young player will learn more playing and training with a first team than he will off his coach. I, I, I don't care what anyone says to me. That is fact. And I say that from my own experiences. I had an extremely good under-18 coach in Colin Clark. Okay. Did we do a lot of stuff on formations? No. Did we do a lot of work tactically? No. Did we know what the formations were? Yes. Was it anywhere near as, as um, complex as it is now? No. But did we understand our position? Did we understand how to play? At, yeah, we did. And then what we got was with the understanding that Colin gave us on how to play right back, centre-half, centre-midfield, you had to take the responsibility on yourself to then further that uh, knowledge but we were over with the first team a lot and mm. so you were up against good movement you were up against intelligent players you were up against physical players so you got but but we weren't bored to death with tactics and formations but what we were taught in those two years we were scholars is distances angles how to be a defender how to play your role within the side um and I, and I think that stood me in great stead. But there is, there is always, whether you're, you're taught now as a player or you're taught back then as a player, there is always a responsibility within the player 
to find out more about mm. his position and find out more about the game of football to make yourself better. Um, and I don't think players take on enough responsibility early on in their careers. They just want all the good stuff to come quickly. And actually, they're not willing to do the five years to learn your trade first before the good stuff, good stuff comes after that. But, you know, I may be way off the mark. Some people will see it completely and utterly differently. But I, I just know that when I was a kid, I wasn't worried about the coach. I, wasn't, I didn't look across to the, the sidelines worrying about the formation we was playing, worrying about this. I, was, I, I, just, I just needed to learn how to play my position the best I could with the strengths and weaknesses I had. And I did that. And I did all right with it, Benji. So yeah, I'm going to stick with that as long as I live. Just have a, a couple more topics that I wrote down to talk about, because obviously, you know, we've, we've covered a lot, of, a lot of good stuff today. But wanted to, to give a little shout and a little credit to Connor Washington after last night, because, you know, he's another player who has had his fair share of criticism. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, Bowyer was saying that he expected more from him and wanted more from him. And, and Washington, obviously, played very well last night, scored twice after the game, you know, he said that in some ways he appreciated the criticism because he he wants to know that his manager wants more from him and he also believes he wants more from him. But obviously, you know, we've spoken a few weeks ago about the kind of players you would have liked to play against, the kind of strikers you wouldn't have liked. Um, obviously, your Thierry Henrys and the players who can kind of spin quickly. And Washington, he's, he's an interesting striker because he's not necessarily the kind of striker who will take the ball and turn away from a defender, beat a couple of players. He's not necessarily, he's obviously not the biggest striker, so he's not necessarily someone who's going to hold up play but what he is is someone who's constantly you know making a run constantly looking to burst into yeah. the panel constantly looking to make a run in behind so you know I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts on how you think you would have defended against him uh how would I have defended against Connor um I would have let Richard Roof just take him. <laughs> 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 no 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 um it's interesting because Connor does an awful amount of work that supporters don't see. Mm. Okay, so when Charlton are out of possession, he will happily drop in and take the deepest line midfielder to negate that player, right? It's not a nice thing for a striker to do because he's getting further and further away from the goal, <laughs> right? He wants to be on the shoulder, he wants to be played in, he wants to score goals, right? But he's willing to do that. Not only is he willing to do that, he must make 10 runs, and of those 10 runs, only two get played in, mm-hmm. right? But he never stops making the runs, right? Now, the problem you have is when he gets in front of a goal and misses a goal, he's made the 10 runs, he's only got played in twice, he misses the goal, and what does everybody do? They hammer him for missing the goal, right? And that is, unfortunately, you know, the downside of being a striker. Like, it, the downside of being a keeper is you can make four mm-hmm. saves, make a mistake. The mistake is the only thing we hear about, okay? Mm-hmm. now. He is a wonderful team player, right? Now, when Lee wants a little bit more from him, what Lee's probably, I think, is going on about is, look, you know, sometimes you don't want your strike to make 10 runs, make six, and the other four times, get yourself in the box. I want goals. Now, the beauty of last night's performance, he got the work rate, he got the channel running, and he got the two goals as well. So last night, everyone goes, great performance because he's got his two goals. Mm-hmm. What I would like people to do is, when he doesn't get his goals, go, he's made 10 runs in the channel, he's got played in twice. He's dro- Running in the channel isn't... You have to understand what it does to the mentality of the opposition back four, right? So when your midfielder or your centre-half picks up the ball and Connor Washington spins in behind, your back four 
either as a choice. It plays offside or it drops. But what it can't do is just stay still. All right? Because he's made his run. Now, he might not get played in four times, but that back four has dropped four times. And every time someone picks it up, Connor spins and goes in, back four drops. Suddenly, the gap between the back four and the midfield four is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Can you get maybe a wide player coming in behind the two units to play in between the lines? You know, if we're going to talk coaching, mm. you know, that sort of thing. Now, it might take four runs for that back line to drop early and, and create that 10 or 15 yards. And then all the, all the, all the fans see is a wonderful pass, say, from Forster Kasky into Miller, who's coming off the line. And that's a wonderful move. But it's been created by Connor Washington, right? But they don't necessarily see that. A manager will, coaching staff will, other players will. Fans, not necessarily, right? Um, and that's where Connor kicks in. That's why he gets appreciated, I think. It's like a sitting central midfielder and people go, what does he actually do? Yet the other players know exactly what he does. The management know what he does. He sits there breaking up play. He finds more creative players if he's not that creative himself. And he makes good challenges. And if you're Darren Prattley, you're good in both boxes aerially. But you don't necessarily see him hitting 50-yard passes in behind a fullback, right? And, and they go, what does he actually do? Well, he's appreciated by his teammates and he's appreciated mm. by the manager, which is what I think Connor is. I think Connor will always work his socks off. That's a given. Mm. That's a given. Can he be... Can, can you point a finger every now and again about his quality in the final third? Maybe. But he doesn't mean to miss the target, you know. Um, um, but I, I, I didn't like players that were constantly on the run. Um, and he, he is willing to do an awful amount of, of running for the team, which I think is essential. You have to have players that are extremely unselfish. And mm. Connor is a, an unselfish player. Yeah, and, and, and I think a big thing about Connor's game and something that you're, you're, you're talking about there is that as a defense and, and when you're defending as a unit, you want to kind of stay in your, in your shape. You want to make sure that you, you want to do your best to not get shifted around by the opposition team because then, you know, you start to yeah. panic. Players start to lose their markers. And so what Connor Washington does so well is he, he forces a defense to kind of change their shape and he forces a defense to focus on a number of things. And without those runs in behind, without those runs into the channel, a back for can kind of just look ahead at the attackers. They can look ahead at the team and say, okay, you're going to take the winger. You're going to take the one striker. I'm going to take the other striker. But when someone is shifting around the defense, all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder for a defense, in my view, to, to keep track of everyone, to make sure that they've got all their angles covered and make sure that their shape stays right. So I think, you know, that, that's what I see as being one of Connor's main strengths uh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and let's not forget center halves notoriously cover the first run, cover the second run, might cover off the third one. On the fourth one, they go, I'm not covering him off this one. Catch him <laughs> offside and you don't. And you don't. You know, so you're always trying to, you're always trying to catch a centre half out, you know, you know get, being a little bit lazy, if you like. Mm. But what I, what I, you know, like I said, I, I think he's answered the question about Lee Bowyer as any good pro should answer. You know, I don't mind the manager doing that, even if privately he does. You don't say that. You say that <laughs> I quite like it. He's giving me a little rocket and, uh, and I don't mind that. But I also would like, uh, you know, if you flip that coin over about the criticism, you'd love to see Lee come out. And we, we know he's, you know, put his arm around Ronnie Schwartz, but I'd love to see him 
talk about Connor and the unselfish. He has actually. I think I've seen it written down somewhere in the past. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 it has to be appreciated because um, who really every time a ball's picked up wants to make a fifty-yard dash. I know I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to cover off a set. I didn't want to cover off a centre forwards run every time he made one. If I could check you out and block you before you made it, great. I'd even, you know, try and get a foul out of it if I'm honest. But he he is he is a very willing player, um, yeah. and he scores goals. I think. Well, what's he on, Benji? You're nice. the stats man. You're better stats. Right, listen, I yeah. I've been stats manned off by Curbs. Curbs has stabbed <laughs> me off. He's he doesn't like it when I come up with stats. He thinks it's. I I think it, I, he sort of looks down at me when I'm when I <laughs> when I come up with all my stats. But you're with a stat. Listen, you. You're the proper stat man. I, I looked at some of your stats. What's the expected goals? I'm not interested in that. That just I looked at that and went, what are all those graphs? I'm not, not interested in that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I look. He's, how many goals do you say? Ed? I missed that. Sorry, nine. Nine, yeah, nine in the league, which obviously is not a. It, it's a. It's it's a, it's the second most that uh, of any Charlton player, and he's on course, you know, to potentially get fourteen, fifteen, which. Is not a small amount of goals, you know. That's a that's a real haul right there. Yeah, listen, he gets he gets himself up to 12, 13, 14 without the season's been. Mm. I don't know how many starts he's made. I I, I don't know, but um, uh, you know, if you put the goals to one side, you package them in one corner of the the page. Great. If you could get up to 12, 13, 14, 15, brilliant. But when you when you put that alongside what he does for the team. It suddenly becomes Absolutely. A, a player that that that, that I I like. Mm. I I like what he does. I like players that are unselfish. I like intelligent players. Um, if you look at the second goal last night, uh, and I have had a, a chance to see it again today. I don't can't remember how, but I did. Um, I love the way he moves in the box as that's building up. He makes an initial run. Chucks has a brilliant cutback. He lays the ball into Shinny's path. And as it goes into, as Chucks cuts back, he draws himself out of the, the, the middle of the six yard where two defenders are. And he comes away from it like that to also be available for the cutback. When the cutback goes to Shinny, he moves again around to the far post, which any good striker should do. He should be on the move, on the front foot, looking for a rebound. The keeper makes a save. The reason he gets his goal is you look at the intelligence of the movement within that six-yard box and out to the penalty spot. It's why he scored, mm. you know, and 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 he needs credit for that. And, and what you'll see is your your. I initially went great move from Chucks, brilliant that he didn't drive that across the six-yard box, and he took the extra touch and fed Shinny because that led to the goal. Mm. But now I've seen the goal again. Just look at his movement. It's 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 very good, and and I like him as a player. You know, and, and Lee will do what he does. He's got a lot of good strikers at his disposal for League One. And he'll use them as and when he needs to do. But I am a fan of Connors in terms of his work rate and his unselfish, um, you know, his unselfish uh, uh, mentality. Yeah, his mentality. Sorry, I was struggling. But his un- unselfish mentality towards the team. He, he just, he, 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 he doesn't mind making all those runs that yeah. quite a few don't, don't want to make.
and and I think you know you 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 pointed out something really important about Connor Washington and almost about how we view Connor Washington, which is that a lot of the things that he does, you oftentimes won't actually see it on the first viewing. You know yeah. that goal, for example, last night, you can immediately see Chuck's Chuck's his play. You can immediately see you know Andrew Shinney coming into a good area and getting yeah. the shot off, and then you just look at it and see, okay, Connor Washington had a had a had a finish from close range. But when you look at Connor Washington a little bit more deeply, you start to see all the movement and all the little intricacies to his game that are so crucial and that, as you say, help the team and help get him in a position like he was in last night to score that second goal. So I think, you know, he is one of those players that if you just look at something once and if you kind of just look at something in, a, in the tunnel vision of, of almost outcome-based situations where you see what ended up happening, you can miss a lot of his game and you can miss a lot of what he's good at. And I think, you know, there's a reason why he's played so much this season. There's a reason why Lee Boyer will continue to play him. And it's because he does all that unselfish stuff and he does all that running and he gets himself into good positions and he, he clearly helps the team a lot. So I think, you know, we saw that last night and I'm glad, as you said earlier, I'm glad he got the goals because now he'll get the credit that his performance at Wigan deserved, you know, it, his performance at Wigan yeah. was a good one as well. His performance at Oxford was a good one. And now because he's gotten the goals, he gets those, that, that credit. But I mean, sort of the, the last thing that I wanted to, to talk about and this, I'm hoping will become a, a reoccurring thing in our, in our podcast is looking back on this week in Brownie's career. So I've, I've got one for you today. Oh, geez. Crikey. So on this Pro- week. I was probably it, it, sub. <laughs> no, no, I'll be honest. <laughs> so on, on this week today, you, mm-hmm. Charlton, not, not you, Brownie, but you, Charlton, played right. Walsall, beat Walsall 4-2 in the league, and it marked a, the, the 12th game in your 12-game winning streak in the 2000, the 1999 2000 ah. season, um, which is obviously, you know, it's a record that still stands today the 12 matches winning in a row. Um, so I just was hoping to ask you a little bit. Obviously, you may not remember that specific game because it was just one of the 12. But kind of to, to get into I do remember. No, I do okay. remember it. Remember. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so first of all, you know, just want to hear your recollections of, of that game. And just, I guess you must have come into it almost feeling a little bit invincible. Absolutely. At that point, we were, yeah, and, and taking any anybody on. It, it didn't matter. Top Second. Uh, tenth bottom of the league, we were beating anybody at that point. Um, the morale, as you would imagine, was ridiculously high. Uh, the, the, the squad, as I've said previously, Benji was a, was a real tight knit squad anyway. And that that game was away. If, if I've got the right game, that game was away at Walsall, wasn't it? Was I it? believe so. I'll need to go back and check my. Uh... <laughs> I think it was away at Walsall, and and actually the surprise of that game was that we conceded twice. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 actually, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it was away. Yeah, the, the the surprise of that game was we we conceded twice because I don't think they were in fantastic shape at that point. Um, but yeah, That's again, it was a very. I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't think we were at our best, actually. Um, but that was the sort of stature of the team at that time. It had goals in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could, we, you know, we could fall behind in a game and, 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 and know that we were going to come back and we could lead in a game. No, we could be drawn level with and go on and win. We just had goals from all over, actually. Um, but yeah, I think the surprise of that game was we conceded too. But if you go to the next game, yeah, we... Yeah, I know. We we played Swindon, and uh, interestingly, Benji. Actually, I was on Valley Pass with Curbs the other day, 
uh, a month or so ago, and this Swindon game came up. And Curbs' recollection of it was completely and utterly different than mine. So Scott Minto asked him a question about um, what do you recollect from the game? And he went, went, well, driving home, I just thought we weren't very good. You know, we've just lost to the team bottom. And actually, and and, and I I don't know whether my brain's tricking me, (laughs) but I thought it was a game where we absolutely annihilated them. Something like 27 shots. And it was to zero, by the way. They didn't have a shot on goal. The goal itself was a cross that got mishandled by Dean Kite. It was one of the very few mistakes Dean made. But it got mishandled by him and rolled up his arm and into the back of the net. And it didn't register as a shot on target. So my recollection of that game was, uh, Curbs um, obviously thought we lost the game, so it was poor. I thought we were outstanding and should have won about 5-1, right? And they didn't even register a shot on target. And if I remember correctly, it was one of the few games where you lose. And we got not a standing ovation, but rapturous applause because we were terrific, as far Mm -hmm. as I can remember, as a side that day. But it was just one of those those days. We couldn't score and and, and they got a freak goal. And Mm. they were absolutely stone bottom. And I do believe at that time, Winning 13 straight would have been a league record, as in not just a club record, but a league record. An EFL, I don't know if it was the EFL back then, but it would have been a league record for uh, the championship. And, we, and we've, we, 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 we've got a joint record, I think, of 12 at the time and, and lost to Swindon, who were 24th, which was incredible. But yeah, I mean, by that time, we'd, we'd opened up a massive gap between mm. us and second. I mean, we got over the line without winning a game. We kept drawing and losing, kept drawing and losing. And I think we went up to Blackburn and drew and Man City lost. And so we basically got handed the title at Blackburn after a draw. And it was, you know, the work was done from from Christmas to that Mm -hmm. game there, that that Walsall game. From Christmas to Walsall, we just blitzed the league, you know, and took on all comers. It didn't matter where you were. In that particular period, we just beat, everybody and it's quite a thing to do Benji it doesn't matter what level you're at Absolutely. whether you're non-league league 2 Premier League to win 12 straight games without getting a sending off without picking up 2 or 3 injuries without you know it, it's quite a thing to do and, um, and, as, and as you know when people, saying, when people go, <laughs> no I was just going to say as we were saying earlier it means you also have to win on your bad days as well as on your good days yeah well we, we, we weren't particularly positioned that well at Christmas I don't think for a team that had just come down I don't think we've positioned that well. And it was that run that obviously boosted everybody's confidence and, and got us into the, the top spot. But yeah, it was, you know, people ask you, what was your best moment, if you like? What was your favourite game? I don't have a favourite game. I, have a, I mean, obviously the Wembley game was different for all kinds of reasons. But that year was my favourite time in football, bar none. I mean, we had a great squad in 98 that went up. It was good. I'd say that 2000 squad was better. It was, it was, it had a bit of everything. And, and, and credit does have to, have to go to the recruitment, to curbs, to the players as well. Mm, you know, we all, absolutely. we didn't allow anybody to be too big headed. We didn't allow prima donnas. We didn't allow teams to come and outwork us. Don't get me wrong, but teams did outwork us and teams did beat us. But, you know, we, we laid it on the line every week, most weeks, and um, 
and deservedly got back up to the Premier League, actually. But that was my mm. favourite year in football. It was a fantastic achievement. It was a fantastic squad. Uh, and 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 actually, you 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 kind of look back now. What's that? Twenty twenty one years ago, and you only realise. And I've said this already on quite a few things, but you only realise how good not you not I am, but you were as a team mm. um, when you look back. And it, and it, and we were good. You know, it, yeah, in term in, in terms of consistent performances and winning games or drawing games when we weren't great. We had, a, we had a bit of a backbone, we had a resilience. And that came with the camaraderie within the dressing room. It was excellent. And you would hope, you would hope that, you know, it's, a, uh, it's almost a beacon to all other Charlton teams. Whenever we say, you know, this team needs to go on a run or this team needs to put a few performances together, <laughs> yeah. you would hope that that kind of jumps out. But obviously, you know, it's, it's more complex than that. It's, it's much more complex than that. And, and, and actually... That was a long time coming. That squad, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it needed it needed the promotion and relegation to strengthen the squad as a whole, uh, you know, and 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 then you've got to get the right characters, and they've all got to blend, and they've got to be resilient. You know, you've you, the the hardest bit was, I think, now having managed and coached mm. myself, the hardest bit, and where I think Curbs was either he was either lucky. Or he was brilliant. He was a genius, but he had players that accepted that they were part of a squad, and they and if they missed out, there as far as I'm concerned, there wasn't too much disharmony because you didn't play. We mm. just knuckled down and got on with it. And I don't know whether that was of his doing, whether he was extremely lucky with the people that he bought into the football club. But they're they're just, you know, don't get me wrong, people. People took it personally sometimes. They would drop. They thought it was unfair at times. But nobody ever let that go on for long. Nobody. Um, there was never a, you know, certainly in, 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 in 98, 99, 2000, never a fight at the training ground. You know, there weren't too many even even arguments. You know, it just was, was one of those periods that you can only look like, well, Unless, again, unless I have blotted out all the rubbish stuff, <laughs> I just, I don't, I, it was just the best time. 98, 99, 2000 was just outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I, I can only imagine, you know, the, there's so many, so many good, obviously, I don't have the memories of that, but obviously, since coming into the club and, and spending some time with the club, I've obviously seen everyone talk about those years and seen, obviously, the games and, and looked into it and it just, it had so many special characters, so many special games, so many special moments. And it's, uh, it is quite crazy to look back on it now and, and realize, I guess, that, that the team was actually that good. And it wasn't just by chance or anything. It was because, you know, you all put in the work and everyone was that, that good at the, at the same time. And you all kind of got it together as, as one. And, you know, I guess we would hope that this season, you know, something slightly similar could be achievable or if not this season next season still a long way to go in this one and obviously this last week it's nice to be starting this podcast with a couple of good performances to talk about as opposed to starting it with some less than good performances but sadly because I know that we could speak forever but sadly I think that's (laughs) how we kind of have time for today for our audience but I just want to thank everyone who's tuned in today for listening Um, We will hopefully be back next week with another episode. This has been Benji and Brownie bringing you Brownie and Benji, and I hope you all enjoyed it.